from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Wednesday, June 18th, Valencia, Spain. They passed endless orchards of orange and lemon trees under a hot, cloudless sky. The Continental was running smoothly, its air conditioning system maintaining the inside temperature at a cool 68. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Hunter, and I am joined across many lands and much ocean by my intrepid fellow Crichtoner, Crichton Spurt, Crichton. Crichton Spurt. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like, like ex, ex, expert. Sounds unnecessarily graphic. <laughs> just, just like the novel reading. Hmm. Um, I am joined by my fellow Crichton expert, Mr. Hugh Hamilton. Hello. And today we are continuing our chapter-by-chapter exploration of Mike Crichton's first ever released book, uh, which is called Odds On, which was released... uh, In 1966. uh, Under the nom de guerre... Nom de plomb. Nom de guerre... Jean Lange. Before we get to our regularly scheduled Crichton recap and discussion... We have to uh, talk about a very important element of the show, which is our signature beverages and our signature snack. I have in my hand a glass of gin sour, and my snack today is a package of delicious and crunchy saltines. What is your beverage and or snack of the book, Hugh? Well, uh, as you know, I've paired my uh, reading of Odds On with an anonymous white wine Mm. that comes from a box and some banana cream biscuits, the significance of which will soon become apparent as we explore this particular chapter. Will they? Little did I know how significant these banana cream biscuits would prove to be when I first selected them to accompany the recording of this podcast. Mm. What what relation could banana cream have to the novel Odds On by Michael Crichton under the nom de plume? Jean Lage. Well, some might say none at all. Some might say that, but they would be sadly mistaken once they reach the chapter Wednesday, June 18th, the first paragraph of which you have just read for us. Mm. Um, but before we get to this paragraph, Hugh, where did we leave our characters last The bulk of the last chapter was Jenks explaining the ins and outs of the plan. The plan which proved to be rob this luxury hotel Mm -hmm. by stealing 
Travelers checks, jewels, cash, and the money in the safe in the manager's office. And uh, the way they're able to potentially get away with this scheme is by creating a series of diversions and making it seem like uh, they are victims as opposed to mm. perpetrators. So one yes. thing we left out of the recap that we did on the last episode was the fact that all the robbers, as it were, the burglars, will remain at the scene of the crime and pretend to be victims as much as everyone else. That's true. And they will make it seem like someone has gotten away, which is the reason for the suspicious taxi business that we uh, mm. discussed last time. Important point. So they've blown up the bridge. This taxi is driven off. So it seems like the perpetrators have actually gotten away and prevented anyone else from chasing them. So no one's going to suspect these three otherwise suspicious single males who are milling about the hotel. Mm. We also had some more business with um, Peter Ganson in the moonlight and his... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his uh, victim. <laughs> school chum. His frigid school chum, although frigid only to him. Yeah, his... his uh... Horish, but not horish to him, school chum. Yes. Jenny. She will happily submit to the right man. He is not the right man. Mm, that's true. That's where we left off. Now, this chapter, you have just introduced us to a different part of Spain, Valencia. I see visions of orchids, of orange and lemon trees. I see visions of orchids. <laughs> I picture a hot, cloudless sky. I picture a hot, cloudless sky. And then something about air conditioning. And then something about air conditioning. And I say to myself... Was that good or what? Now let's hear it in your best Armstrong. It's <laughs> a little bit more Morrissey than uh, Louis Armstrong, but nonetheless. That's, that's the register my voice could go to. There was two ways you could have been racist there. You could have been racist <laughs> with an offensive Louis Armstrong impression, but instead you chose to be racist by <laughs> <laughs> invoking the memory of Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> I should have invoked the memory of Morrissey. By seeing like him, you did. I did not sound like Morrissey at all. So we're in, as we established, in Valencia, Spain. Is that not right? That's right. And what characters are traveling in this Lincoln Town Car? Well, we have returned to the world of Jean-Paul and his patron, Miss mm. Shaw. Slash lover, question mark? Hmm. Employer. Yeah, employer. And what are they doing driving through Valencia, Hugh? Well, Miss Shaw's eating a lot of bananas. <laughs> that does seem to be the main thrust of this little subsection. This is establishing the fact that she really likes bananas. She's <laughs> sitting in the back seat of, of the car that, that Jean-Paul is driving, and apparently she has a huge mound of bananas next to her. Yep. And she is expounding at length about how much she loves bananas and yep. uh, persistently <laughs> offering Jean-Paul a banana of his very own. Does he eventually accept a banana of his very own? He does. Or, as Virginia Woolf would say, a, a banana of one's own. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of 
Speaking of bananas, I'm just going to take a quick bite of my banana cream biscuit. Mm. And speaking of lemons, I'm going to take a quick swell of my gin sour. Mmm. Mmm. That goes down real smooth. <laughs> Wouldn't it be really funny if I got sour vanilla for drinking the raw egg yolk? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the alcohol will probably kill it off, right? Yes. So... Probably not in too much danger. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the main thrust of this little chapter is that, yep, Miss Shaw really likes bananas. Yeah. <laughs> it is returned to over and over again. <laughs> because, because, I mean, we'll get to this, but I'll jump ahead a little bit. Mm. They eventually arrive where? But the Hotel Reno. Mm, they sure do. And Miss Shaw interacts with a character we're already intimately familiar with, Annette. Mm-hmm. And um, as part of the check-in proceedings, she makes inquiries towards the hotel's stock of bananas because she really likes bananas and she wants to be kept in bananas for life. Um, let's see. Is there anything else to those chapters? Uh, there's a recounting of John Paul's sordid romantic history with the Countess of some such place in Greece. The other part of this chapter that's important, unless this is what you're referring to, is that Miss Shaw is going to introduce Jean-Paul to her niece. And she is confident that Jean-Paul will find her niece highly satisfactory. So I'm assuming her niece is already staying at Hotel Reno. Mm. Do you think her niece is one of the characters you've been already introduced to? Possibly. It could be that woman who is hooking up with Brian. No, not Brian. Miguel. Miguel, yeah. Yep. Cynthia? Yep. She has multiple names. Yeah, um, but you, uh, I think, I think in the last chapter we were both, uh, at least speaking myself, I was kind of bored. I mean, not bored, but I was kind of let down by the lack of general salaciousness mm. uh, and uh, the fact that this is that that's the only chapter that does not feature, as far as I can remember, a graphic sex scene. <laughs> mm. So um, after we leave Miss Shaw in Jean Paul. Jean-Paul, we get a little bit of, uh, a little more of, uh, Peter Ganson. Uh, a little bit of Shut Ganson the fuck up. On that li- <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you should be happy I changed the song, even if it has nothing to do with his name. Ganson Queen. <laughs> Is that you wanted? All right, we can go through the whole history of popular music that has employed the word dancing somewhere. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll save it for the Ganson jukebox at the, at the end. Shut up. So get a little bit more with uh, Peter Ganson and his uh, not-quite-love Jenny. Uh, so they're sitting that by the pool, and Jenny is displaying herself and her mouths to all of the men in the all hotel. All and sundry. Mm. And she attempts to attract the attention of one Brian Snack. Brian Stack. Well, that's a Freudian slip, Brian Snack. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But uh, to little avail, I believe is the conclusion that has come to. And then we go to get, get we cut from there to a little bit with uh, Miguel and Cynthia as they uh, consummate the plans that they had made in uh, two chapters ago. Yep. And boy, do I mean consummate. <laughs> that there's a pretty uh, silly scene where he rubs her down with... Uh, uh, suntan lotion, and then uh, they proceed to have intercourse. Yep. Entirely uh, elided. Yep. 
Uh, and it says they have sex three or four times, if memory serves. Yes, three times in the space of three hours, mm. uh, during which they managed to squeeze in lunch as well. Um, there's a scene where Miguel calls her a nympho. But a good nympho. Mm. Or something. No, he says, like, she's a nympho, but the world needs some nympho. He likes something nymphos. like that. They had yeah. their place in the world. They had their <laughs> place in the world. Is what I'll, re- I'll yeah. read it aloud. <laughs> Nymphos had their place in the world, is what he says. <laughs> and Miguel always enjoyed them when he found them. You could read that as basically Crichton saying women have their place in the world, given all the female characters in the novel so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but there's different kind of nymphos, I think. Uh, there's <laughs> a Cynthia who will seemingly have sex with anyone, and then there's the uh, more selective women. And that's, that's the two choices. But both of them have sex with a lot of different men. Hmm. So both could be described... Uh, I think, by Crichton as nymphos. And I'm sure that he has described women as nymphos in his personal life a lot. <laughs> Not to impugn the man too much. I'm sure it came out during one of the five divorce proceedings <laughs> that he went through. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. So we got Miguel and Cynthia, and then they they fuck a couple times, and then we move on. Three times. I was easy couple couple in a general sense, not meaning to. I always think two when someone says couple. I think two. I, I think few I is three or more. Couple, I don't. two. I don't. Because what is a couple but two people in a relationship? They fuck a couple of times and then we move on to one, Monsieur Jinx. So Jinx talks to a couple of people. He talks to a British couple who are um, vacationing in Spain. The male portion of which uh, is someone who served in the Second World War. And Jinx attempts to uh, talk to him about this for a bit. And he quotes some Montgomery or some shit. And he suggests that his own father was in the war. I couldn't tell if this was a put on by Jinx or not. I assume so. He decides based on the fact that this couple vacations every year that they would be a good target to hit during the robbery. Yeah. And the uh, the old um, colonel helpfully points out their room mm. for him. That's true. It is a stupid sap. And because Jenks has a photographic memory, he is able to absorb that information instantly mm. and store it for later. I believe the room was 148. So let's see if I'm a Jenks about that because I'm not looking at my phone. <laughs> you are You are a Jenks in this case. Although I'm aided by the fact that I read this chapter on the toilet not an hour ago, so. Yep. I'm fucking Jenks. Who are you, Miguel? Okay, let's, co- let's, let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we in this story? <laughs> we'll do that at the end of the book. No, I'm, I'm, clearly, I'm clearly Jenny because I want to be dominated by the right man. I'm Jenks because I came up with the idea for the podcast. <laughs> you kind of made it happen, so maybe you're Brian. So Brian. <laughs> seems, seems more capable. <laughs> You used a computer to tell you what order we should do the books in. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole section kind of reminded me of those. Uh, not to not to talk about something that that should have been relegated to the last episode, but that section kind of reminded me of those like bullshit threads on Twitter that you'll get that are like I fed an AI like you know a hundred hours of whatever yeah, yeah. to produce the script <laughs> that I just wrote myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I wonder if um, Jinx was put. I guess he had that chapter where he takes it to the computer, but it kind of gives me the AR of like, why did you bother going to the computer with all this? Like, mm. it, it, just, I don't understand how the computer would help you in this circumstance, but you know. But it is amusing. And Michael Crichton gets to demonstrate how intelligent he is, so. Especially because if you actually think about doing this with 1966 era computer technology, mm. 1960. Or whatever it was at the when this novel is set. 1966 yeah. is when the novel was released. Yeah. But the amount, the sheer volume of information you would have to feed this computer in order for it to make any viable probability about anything would be outside the realm of its capacity based on the technology at the time, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, that was the last chapter. So basically just boils us out of Jake's making shit up. Uh, so after uh, uh, Jinx's... Uh, Casing these folks, he runs into an American couple who are obnoxious and he determines to have little to no money. Is that if memory is serving me correctly? Yes, that's right. But his uh, conversation is interrupted when his uh, erect penis uh, realizes oh. this that um, Mrs. Jenny is sitting at the pool. He decides to concentrate his efforts in. Uh, getting into her pants and around her sizable mouths. Is that, is that uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much uh, the entirety uh, of the Jinx storyline in this chapter is him sort of, uh, you know, basically negging her and treating her badly and that uh, being attractive to her. <laughs> I think it's pretty much right. Uh, I, think, I think it's time for... For crying out loud. What, what have you got for us? So, okay, so the situation is Jenny is with Peter Ganson mm. and a gaggle of other men who were held in rapt attention around her beautific form. Mm. Then uh, Jenks, you know, his, his penis sense is tingling, as he said. He's confident that he's attractive and he knows that he knows that that confidence will add to his attractiveness. Yeah. So he makes a beeline directly for Jenny, <laughs> surrounded by men. He calls her by a different name mm. and says, I need to speak to you. I believe it is Anna. Alice, actually. So he walks up and says, Alice, thank God I've been looking all over for you. Right? Mm. She hesitates. She looks at him. Like this guy looks handsome. This guy is the opposite of this Peter Cuck that I've been dragging around. You know what? I'm gonna play along. Mr. Uh, Mr. Ganson. Ganson in the dark. Is that is that it? Yeah, good enough. We'll be Ganson in the dark. Um, yeah. And she says, Henry. I'm so glad you arrived. Please take me away from these frightful boars. Right. Mm. Now, Jenks knows exactly what he's doing, so he's going to play it cool. Mm. He's going to pretend that he merely was uh, undertaking this ruse in order to get her out of a difficult situation. Right. Mm. Surrounded by these boars, as she put it. And then they proceed to have, I guess, what Michael Crichton would hope to be a witty conversation. Yeah, but it just sort of seems like Jigs is terrorizing her. 
sparked with innuendo. Innuendo such as appears in the following exchange. Let's hear it. How old are you? He asked. Old enough to know what I'm doing. That's not an answer. Twenty. Why do you ask? Curiosity. How old are you? Eighty-seven, Jenks said. Eh? Very well preserved, she said. I fight alligators with my bare hands. Sounds like interesting work. I've learned to handle thrashing creatures, he said. Is that a challenge? It's a statement of fact. Um, so yeah, they exchanged a repartee. And then um, Jinx walks her to her hotel room. And then she clearly wants to smash him, I think is the implication. But Jinx yep. is withholding. Playing it cool. And that's where Jinx's section of this chapter comes to a close. So uh, Annette and Brian, uh, as promised in the last chapter, uh, have a drink or two in uh, his hotel room. They drink a gimlet, a vodka gimlet, if memory serves. Yep. And then they drink it, and then they make plans the next day to go on a drive. And that's basically it. There's not a lot of information that's conveyed in this little sub-section. The, the scene is a little bit awkward because it's clear that Brian still feels a little bit uncomfortable about having to involve Annette. Doubly so now that he has discovered she's quite a nice person. Yes. So after he makes that revelation, that is the entirety of that little chapter. Uh, and then Jinx comes by and congratulates him and then they share a drink or something like that. And mm -hmm. then that's it. And then uh, we have one little bit left of this chapter, yo. Involving Miguel and the uh, ugly American that we met uh, a little earlier. Yes. So Miguel is in the lobby of the hotel. Mm -hmm. And he spies a character that he recognizes from his past associations. Um, a con man mm -hmm. by the name of Alan Brady. And they obviously know each other, so it won't be good for Miguel to show his face to this person because that could give the game up. Mm. So he hides behind a newspaper while mm. Alan Brady checks in. And this is the same character who, who, who Jenks had encountered on the plane over to... Barcelona. Yes. The one who was pretending to be a, a Boorish-American tourist but was, in fact, French. Yes. We learn here that that is his stock and trade in the con game. Stock in trade, in fact. Mm. All right. Um, well, I think that, that does it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, does it. Is there any, is there any other uh, little comment you'd like to add on at the end here? Well, given that we record these episodes two at a time, mm. and this is the second of the two chapters of this particular recording session, I believe it is time for us to make some sort of prediction about where this whole story is headed in the next duo of chapters. Okay. So I guess I'll, I'll question or I'll prompt your prediction by asking, do you think we'll see the heist in the next two chapters or will it be more uh, establishing shots, as it were? I think there's one more establishing shot chapter and then the heist will begin. And I think the next, so the next chapter, I think, will feature some more of the characters trying to find out a little bit more about what's going on. 
but I will also introduce the complications that have been alluded to in this chapter, such as with this Alan Brady character and uh, some of the other stuff with Miss Shaw and Jean-Paul. Mm. I think I think he'll be like setting the the board, as it were, before the game is to commence. Mm. Well, I think that if I had to make a prediction, I think both of the next two chapters will be more set up, and that we won't get okay. to the heist for another while. But we'll mm. see. Uh, okay, another question I have for you: Do you think Jinx will uh, do the devil's dirty business with young Miss Jenny? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you think it'll be poorly written and misogynist when they do have intercourse? You know what? Uh, I do. <laughs> what? I don't know what would make you suspect that. But anyway, that is hunt. all we have time for this week. So I'm Hunter and you're Hugh. And this has been... For Christ's sake. Oh.